Hello, and welcome to Stonebridge Community Church's online service. I am Pastor John, and I'm glad that you are connecting with us, whether it's through the YouTube channel or through the podcast. I'm glad that you're worshiping with us online. If you are comfortable, and if you are in town, we do invite you to our in-person services as well, because in-person worship is the way the church has done worship for thousands of years now. So it is important for us when we are safe and when you are comfortable and when you are ready to come in person and worship with us so that we are there gathered together. We have Saturday evening services which are outdoors at 5.30. And then we have a Sunday morning service at 10.30. And at our Sunday morning indoor service, the one at 10.30, we do strongly encourage that you wear a mask. We are doing everything we can to not spread COVID-19 and to not increase the number of sick people in our community. So we do strongly encourage you to wear a mask, whether you are vaccinated or not, we do encourage you to wear a mask. If you are not vaccinated, then we take it a step further and we don't just encourage. We ask if you are not vaccinated for your safety and the safety of others to wear a mask if you come to our indoor service. But come and worship with us when you are comfortable and when you are ready. We are in our sermon series called Summer Light, where there's no real theme. And today I'll be preaching a sermon on Isaiah 43, 1 through the first half of 3, talking about how God invites us to not fear. So as you go through this online service, there will be some songs to help guide you in worship at the end here. The scriptures will be read. There will be the word of God preached. But before that, we'll have some announcements for you. So I invite you to listen to the announcements and I pray that you can worship our God. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, welcome to worship. Amen. Welcome to Stonebridge. Starting the first weekend in September, Stonebridge will be launching a new fall series called The Moses Legacy. The Moses Legacy will insightfully journey through the essential parts of Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. Whether in person or by Zoom, plan on joining a growth group to deepen your community experience and participation of this message series. Sign up by visiting the Stonebridge website. If you have any questions, please contact the church office. A few weeks ago, we launched a special five-week podcast series called Stonebridge Essentials. This past week, Pastor John discussed heresies, how they develop, and popular Trinitarian heresies. This coming Tuesday, listen in as Pastor John talks about the Nicene Creed and how it gives us language to talk about the witness of God. Episodes are available every Tuesday within the Stonebridge podcast. Stonebridge has a job opening for a full-time youth and family ministries director. If you or someone you know would be interested in this position, please contact the church office. And lastly, we would love to know that you're participating in worship. Continue to share your news, prayers, and praises by emailing prayers at stonebridgecme.com. Or if you're following along in the Bible app, please take the time to fill out the e-connection card. You are an important part of Stonebridge's community of faith. Once again, welcome to worship. As we move towards the end of summer, we are in a sermon series entitled Summer Light, where we really don't have a theme. We're just going to be looking at different passages and different lessons from the Bible over these next couple of weeks getting ready for our Moses series that will begin in September. So this week, to continue our non-series series, series, we're looking at Isaiah 43, verses 1 
through the first half of verse 3. And in this passage, God offers this commandment or this invitation to not fear. So I invite you to hear the word of God. The prophet tells us, But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. I invite you to join with me in prayer now. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, speak to us now through your scriptures. Help us to understand what it looks like for us to not live with fear. Help us to understand what it looks like to keep fear in its appropriate place. Help us to understand what it looks like when we accept your invitation and when we follow your commandment to not fear. Lord, give us a glimpse of what that looks like through these words now. We thank you, we praise you, and we ask this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In the year 165, the Roman Empire was expanding its boundaries. The Roman Empire was in this point of continuing to grow as an empire. In the year 165, a plague hit the Roman Empire. This disease began spreading throughout the Roman Empire. The emperor who was overseeing it, his name was Marcus Aurelius, didn't know what to do. And this, this plague, it ended up continuing for, for about a decade or so. Now, medical historians have looked back on this plague in 165 that began then, and they've thought perhaps this was actually the first instance of smallpox in the Western world. They don't know exactly what disease it was, though smallpox may be the best guess. But what they know is that it was very contagious and it was lethal. It's estimated that about a quarter to a third of the Roman population succumbed to this plague. That this disease took almost a quarter to a third of the population of the Roman Empire. As you can imagine, this was a terrifying time. This was a time when the people living in the empire didn't know what to do. It even got to the point where the emperor, Marcus Aurelius, whom I mentioned, he succumbed to this plague. It took his life also. So, people had fear. They lived in terror. And about a hundred years later, another plague hit the Roman Empire. It was similar. It lasted for a long time. It, it took a lot of people. It was lethal as well. In both of these plagues, one thing that was consistent was the response of the people, by and large, in the Roman Empire. Most people in the Roman Empire at these points in the history of the empire, they were what we have looked back and called pagans. They believed in the different Roman gods. 
and their belief of the afterlife was one of an unpleasant place, somewhere you didn't really want to go to. You wouldn't be excited about going to the afterlife that Roman paganism talked about. So, the response of the people in the empire, by and large, was to isolate themselves as much as they could from anyone who was sick with any type of sickness. If you were wealthy, what you did is you ran out to the countryside, to to your vacation home out in the countryside that would be more isolated and away from everybody else. And you just tried to wait this out. If you were poor, which was more, more of the people in the empire, you lived in a dense city. You didn't have anywhere to go. Outside of the city walls was, uh, were other dangers. Bandits, thieves, other armies. So you were in this dense city with people getting sick all around you. So what would you do? The moment somebody in your home became sick, you shoved them out. You pushed them out into the streets. And they were left to fend for themselves. In the midst of this pandemic and this plague that the Roman Empire experienced, both of them, fear took over. Fear took over everybody's response. Now, fear is a very powerful emotion. It's a powerful response. And we have to acknowledge that fear is not always bad. There are certain types of fear that are good. And when the Bible is saying, do not fear, it's not talking about all types of fear. Because there are places in the Bible where we are told to fear what is appropriate to fear. Jesus tells us at one point, don't fear those who can only take the earthly life, but fear God in heaven, who can also take your soul. That's a paraphrase there, but that's essentially what Jesus is saying is to have appropriate fear. There's other places in Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There are certain times and situations where fear is okay. But when the Bible is talking about do not fear, it's talking about inappropriate fears. It's talking about those moments when fear takes over everything. It's talking about those moments when we're not responding appropriately with our fears. When fear is appropriate, it is not bad. It gives us boundaries. It lets us know where the lines are. There are certain times in which I wish my son, JD, who is coming up on two years now, had already developed fears, particularly when he's climbing furniture and my wife and I can't get to him fast enough. I want him to be afraid of falling. I want him to have that instinct that will help him to not be hurt. So, there are appropriate fears, and there is a place and a time for fear. But there's also times when fear will take over. When fear begins to cloud our judgment, and when all we are reacting with is fear and defensiveness, bad things start to happen to humans when that is our response to the world. I think now of 
the Roman Empire. And in the midst of this pandemic and this plague, fear became the only thing that guided their decisions. And when fear takes over, we become very selfish. I mean, you think about some of the selfishness that was experienced in the Roman Empire. Because their motivation when they threw out loved ones in their homes into the streets, it was just to save themselves. They stopped being concerned with anything that might happen to the other person who was sick. They stopped being concerned with people who may also get sick. They just threw a contagious person out into the streets and didn't give them food, didn't give them water. It was like they were already dead. There's a selfishness that begins to arise when fear takes over in us. We can think that we're being brave and we can think that we're being bold, but in reality, it's just selfishness when fear is what drives us. And fear is so powerful, it can get to the heart of us. Now, We've been living in this pandemic now for a year and a half, two years. And people have had very serious disagreements about how to proceed and how to respond. And I know that I'm understating the case right now. I, our nation has been divided, is currently divided. And what has been unfortunate to me is I've seen a lot of selfishness arising in churches, and a lack of consideration amongst Christians for other people. We've been asked to do what we can to not spread this virus. And it's been really difficult for churches to sacrifice what is needed so that this virus doesn't spread. And that's been hard to watch. One thing that I think has been particularly unfortunate is the churches and the Christian leaders who have said things to the effect of, we don't need to take any precautions with this virus because Jesus will, will protect us. On the one hand, somebody could say, well, they're not living in fear. But I don't think that that's actually true. I think there is still some fear in that response. It may not be fear of the virus, but it's, it's fear of disruption in our way of life. Or it's fear that the way we live our lives isn't going to be able to continue any longer. And it's a lack of willingness to sacrifice for others that I see in that. And every time I hear people say, we don't need to take any precautions because God is going to protect us. I don't think they're holding God's promise to not fear in an appropriate balance with the rest of the Bible. What I actually think of when I hear that is Jesus' second temptation. When Jesus is out in the desert, the Gospels tell us, Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us, when Jesus is out in the desert, he is tempted by Satan. And Satan takes him up to this tall place and says, throw yourself off because God's angels will stop you from striking the ground. And Satan actually quotes scripture to try to get Jesus to perform this stunt. And Jesus' response is, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. 
There is a difference between not fearing in the way God tells us and putting the Lord to the test. If we have significant evidence that shows that a certain virus spreads with asymptomatic spread amongst people when they gather without certain precautions, we should not be gathering without those precautions unless we have stopped caring about people getting sick or not. That is putting the Lord to the test. That is putting God in a place where we need a miracle. So I've heard that response, and for me, it has just made me sad. It has made me sad because it feels as though a certain kind of fear has taken over churches. Again, fear of having changes in the way we live our lives and the way we do church and fear at the disruption of that. That has taken over to where we're no longer thinking about loving our neighbor. And we're concerned with ourselves more than we're concerned with other people who may become sick based on our actions. That response is not one that God calls us to, I, I, I believe, thoroughly. Instead, when we understand the promise that God gives us, when God says, do not fear, when we really understand the promise that we see here in Isaiah, I think our lives start to look pretty different. They start to change. Because notice in Isaiah here, God says, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. So there's a, a push there that we trust that God has actually redeemed us, that we are in God's hands. And then God goes on to say, I will be with you. When this promise, uh, sorry, when this commandment, this invitation to not fear is stated, it is usually paired with that promise, I will be with you. The, the fundamental promise here is that God is with us in the midst of whatever we will deal with. That God is present with us. And though, at times, we still may have to deal with loss and deal with grief, there are going to be other times that God will save us from grief and from loss, but ultimately, until Jesus returns, we will experience death at some point. But through the midst of all that, God will be with us, and we can have hope that there is redemption, that there is restoration, that there is resurrection. The promise to not fear in the Bible, that promise pushes us to a hope in the future of what God will do, of what Jesus already did on the cross, and that is the core of the gospel. Do not fear is tied to the promise of redemption and tied to the promise of God's presence. And once we embrace that, once we trust that whatever does come, whatever does happen, God will redeem it. It frees us up to be more aware of God's presence and to behave more like Jesus taught us to behave. And it frees us up to embrace the other commandment that the Bible gives us, which is love your neighbor as yourself. God doesn't tell us to not fear just so that we can be brave and we can be bold and we can let the world know how courageous we are. That's not the reason God tells us to not fear. God tells us to not fear 
so that we can take up the call to be Jesus' disciples and to love our neighbors as ourselves. To go out and to care for others, to be more concerned with the welfare of other people than we are with our own. That is the reason that we lay down our fear. It's not to prove how tough we are. It's not to prove how strong we are. It's not to prove that we're more courageous than anybody else. We lay down our fears so we can care for others. So if our response to a situation doesn't lead us to love our neighbor as ourselves, we're not actually embracing this life free of freedom, sorry, this life free of fear that God is offering us. That, I think, is at the core of this promise. In that plague in the Roman Empire, in fact, in both of those plagues in the Roman Empire, according to the sociologist Rodney Stark, nobody was caring for the sick people who were thrown out into the streets. The the pagans living in the Roman Empire, they just looked out for themselves. Nobody was caring for the sick people, that is, except for the Christians. Now, the Christian church in 165, it was not incredibly large at that point. The Christian church in 165 would be small little pockets in different cities. But in those cities, when sociologists and historians have looked back on these plagues, in the cities where Christians were present, there was significantly lower death rates. And there's extensive literature that shows that the Christians living in those cities during these plagues, they had fundamentally different responses than the pagans around them. The Christians were not just worried about themselves. The Christians in those cities, they went out and they found appropriate shelters for the sick people. They would find places that they could go and they could stay. They'd give them beds. They'd give them blankets. They would give them food and they would give them water. Now, in our world of modern medicine, we take for granted just how important food, water, blankets, and shelter are with any sickness. But in the ancient world, when these people would just have been on the streets with other people who were dying of an illness, the Christians taking them in, caring for them, giving them basic nursing, giving them food, giving them water, it lowered the death rates significantly. It saved lives. And after these plagues is when you see some of the biggest growth in the ancient Christian church. When I think back to the early church, this is one of the most courageous one of the most bold, one of the bravest moments, one of the most noble moments in the church's history. When Christians faced with the plague were more concerned about people not dying and caring for people who were sick and caring for their neighbors than they were about themselves. That should be a lesson to all of us. And that's what a life lived without fear actually looks like. It doesn't look like somebody being the toughest person around or the strongest person around. 
A life lived without fear. A life trusting in God's promise of redemption and God's promise to be with us. It's a life lived caring for others. Serving others. Caring about the community in which God has placed us to the point that we are willing to sacrifice for the sake of others. That we're willing to give up things in our lives if it means other people have a chance at experiencing the life God offers them as well. This example of the church in the midst of these plagues, it's one that gives me hope. Hope for the church. Hope that we can overcome the difficulties that we're experiencing now. And hope that they believed that God had truly redeemed them that God was with them, and that God was going to make right all that was wrong in this world. And when I look at them and their example, it deepens my belief, it deepens my hope. And it also challenges me. What are the ways in which we could all be caring for others better? What are the ways in which we as a church could be so focused on the community around us that we're willing to sacrifice for the sake of the community around us. That, I believe, is a life lived without fear. What we see from the churches in the midst of these early Roman plagues, that is a life that has embraced God's commandment and God's invitation to not fear. May we embrace this commandment and this invitation also. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.
as you go from here, may you go handing your fears over to God. And may a life lived without fear free you up to love your neighbor as yourself. May you go caring for others, concerned for others. And may you go in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit and love of the Father. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, go in peace. Amen.